Welcome to the Hurricane Center podcast, produced by the Storm Science Network and part of the National Tropical Weather Conference. This podcast is made possible by USAA, the South Padre Island Convention and Tourist Bureau, and Plylock's Hurricane Clips. Okay, everybody, uh, I want to welcome back to uh, NTWSE, uh, Dr. Joe DeLeo, who uh, uh, spoke at our 2016 uh, meeting. He showed us a picture uh, before we came on the air with this thing of of him with John Coleman, Neil Frank, and uh, uh, Bill Gray. It's hard to believe it's been five years since then. Uh, uh, Joe's had a long, uh, distinguished career in in meteorology, uh, Probably most noted by many of us is that he was one of the founders of the Weather Channel back in the early 80s uh, and, and worked for, for them for a while as, as their chief meteorology uh, uh, professional, their director of meteorology, I guess is what it was called. Uh, one, one thing I had not noticed, Joe, was that you were uh, part of the meteorology program at Linden State College. Uh, so maybe you gave Jim Cantori a little bit of a kick to get him going in the business. Uh, uh, he's had quite a bit of, of uh, work with the private sector information, including WSI, uh, for quite some time. And uh, in addition to writing numerous articles, he is currently uh, a co-chief meteorologist with weatherbell.com, which provides tremendous amount of information to folks in the operational uh, meteorology. So Joe's coming to us today from southern New Hampshire, so I'm going to let you take it away. You're going to be telling us about old and new hurricane comparison. Thank you, uh, Bill. Uh, let me show that uh, picture that we, we talked about uh, with uh, John Coleman, founder of the Weather Channel, and uh, Neil Frank, who helped us in the early days of the Weather Channel, uh, and uh, was, was helpful all through my career. And then, of course, Bill Gray, who we got to know and love, as everyone did uh, in later years. And I'm sorry, he's two of my hero- three of my heroes, and two of them are gone and sad. But uh, we're going to talk about Ida, and, and uh, it, it was a uh, storm. Obviously, the worst is to the right of the center. Uh, my people, friends who live west of Lafayette and didn't see much uh, impact there. Uh, to getting some rain now. But uh, one of the uh, features of a lot of landfalling hurricanes is uh, they can produce problems all along the, the route and sometimes intermittently that in this case, it, it weakened some and then uh, uh, produced uh, five tornadoes in, in Pennsylvania and New Jersey and Maryland and also a deluge of, of rain, flooding rains, record rains for a day for New York City Central Park, and and uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but that was some similar to Camille in '69, which came in a little further east as a strong, as a Cat Five storm, and then recurved and uh, produced a, a second impact in Virginia with flooding rain. Um, Camille was a Cat 5 storm, and uh, as, as I said, um, came for the east, and it was, had a similar one-two punch. 
Uh, the pressure was 900. The winds were 175. I guess in 2014, they did a reanalysis of Camille. It had been 190 mile an hour in 905, I think, and 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 the was reassessed. Still a Cat 5 a peak storm surge of 24 feet with catastrophic damage. It, everything along the coast of the Mississippi, uh, Mississippi and, and then the flooding in, in Virginia, it killed 259 people and in 1969 dollars to $1.542 uh, uh, million. Um, the Camille, you can see here in terms of central pressure, uh, ranks fifth and uh, seventh in terms of max wind. Ida was was lower with 929 um, and uh, about 160 miles an hour official um, uh, max wind, I guess. Um, the death toll is still rising, but at last count, uh, a few days ago, at least to 134, and I mentioned the 256 in Mississippi. Uh, this was the heavy rain in, that uh, surprised them in, in uh, New Jersey, in eastern Pennsylvania, New York City, into southern New England. And on the right, you can see that it's uh, it's been a very wet summer, and I think that probably contributed in the Northeast to enhancing the rainfall because we had so much rain in July and, and August. And uh, they're just 2.6 inches, uh, 2.5, 3 inches below the all-time record set in 2011, the year of Irene. And you remember that storm. Now, uh, we know we, we have to deal in the private sector as you do in the government with, uh, with uh, forecasting seasons and certainly one of the factors is and so El Nino uh, tends to produce more Pacific storms and fewer Atlantic and the opposite for La Nina. Well, this is a La Nina year, not kind of a weak one now, and looks like it's going to resurge. The uh, storms in the Eastern Pacific, when there's more activity in the Eastern Pacific, it produces more uh, shearing in the Atlantic side and fewer hurricanes in the Atlantic basin, typically. And we can see that 14, 15, and 16 had shear in the main development region or the Caribbean area. Uh, but 2017, um, with El Nino coming on, with El Nino coming on, uh, with no shear, we had a big year. The other factor that uh, Bill Gray talked about for three years uh, was the, the AMO, the Atlantic goes through a 60-year cycle approximately. When it's warm, there's more storms. And uh, when it's cold, you get a break. Not everywhere, but, and you can see how nicely the, or how closely the, the number of storms tracks with the, the AMO cycle on an annual basis. Another uh, a factor, uh, over, over time, you know, the impacts vary considerably. We have active seasons and then we have long lulls and the public forgets the lessons from the past storms and the risks of settling in vulnerable areas. And uh, the regions vary too. Uh, sometimes it's the Gulf and other times it's the East Coast. Um, you can see here the landfalling major hurricanes had some gaps in recent years, but some big years too, 2004 and five and, 
and uh, 17. Occasionally, uh, interseasonally, we see quiet spells. We had a very quiet August uh, in the uh, Western Pacific. They had, I don't think they had a, a major uh, a hurricane, a typhoon there in the month. And uh, we, we know we, we track the MJO very carefully because as it moves, the basins get the switch turned on, I guess, and get, get more active in terms of of uh, uh, activity. The ACE index, uh, see the uh, ups and downs of that high um, amount of vari variability. You can see that, that dip down in 2013, 14, 15, and then the big spike in 2017. And despite 30 storms last year, the ACE was, was moderately high, but it wasn't a record. The 30s were, the 30 storms were a record. And this is the latest ACE index. This is gonna climb more. Uh, 79 is uh, low, but uh, it's below the average. And, um, oh, sorry. Uh, Western Pacific was really quiet and they were 50% of normal, but they're picking up now. They're catching up. Uh, now this this period, uh, uh, Neil Frank was saying, is relatively reminiscent of the late 1880s, 1800s, 1880 to 1900, uh, and I think that relates to uh, the the solar when the sun is quiet, as it was in the late 1800s, again in the 1930s when we had the hurricane of 38 and 69 when Camille came, it was kind of a a dud of a solar cycle in the last two cycles have have seen an, an increase. Um, Hodges and, and Elsner, Florida State, had done a, a, a review of possible reasons for uh, variance in, in activity, and they, can, they looked at the sun. And when the sun is more active, there's more ultraviolet radiation, there's ozone chemistry that goes on in the upper atmosphere that produces a warming and that stabilizes the atmosphere some and, and may reduce the, uh, the storms. When the sun is quiet, uh, the upper atmosphere is colder, the air is more unstable. And you can see that in August how how uh, it was pretty much normal in the, in the tropics. You know, all the departures mainly were you know north of, of 30, uh, 30 north and south of 30 south. Um, and uh, here's that active period that um, Neil Frank talked about the late 1800s. If we look at uh, the two most active uh, decades for landfalling hurricanes and majors, well, I said landfalling hurricanes, 1860s, 1880s, uh, we've had others, but uh, it's been less in recent uh, decade. And and Neil says, uh, for looking at long-term trends, obviously you want to look at landfalling storms because we couldn't, even if it was a major storm out at sea and without satellites, we may never know what it really happened. This is 1886, one of the amazing years. 10 hurricanes, seven making landfall, three in Texas, four were major hurricanes. Now that's uh, that was an incredible year. Now Nowadays that, uh, I don't think anything similar uh, to that, maybe uh, 2005. Um, 
And this is 1993, 10 hurricanes, five majors, two caused over 2,000 deaths in the United States. It was the deadliest in history until 1900 with the Galveston storm that uh, killed at least 8,000, maybe 12,000, and most of them from the storm surge. And most of the homes and properties were, were damaged in, in Galveston from that storm. Here's the Texas decade by decadal change and a little bit similar. Uh, we see, uh, we had a nice uh, break there from uh, after um, Katrina and Rita for almost a decade before this guy, um, Hurricane um, um, see that's our uh, rain gauge for rain gauges in the Houston area from that uh, Harvey storm that uh, took a vacation and stayed in Texas and you wound up with a record rainfall but uh, your uh, area is not on it's not uh, uncommon to see some excessive rainfalls. In fact, six of the ten, top ten uh, rainfall uh, from tropical systems uh, have occurred in Texas. There we go. Uh, we'll be back in a moment after a quick sponsor break to uh, discuss more what we've just heard from Joe. Blackmagic Design's A10 Mini line of line production switchers makes it easy to create professional broadcast quality programs and multi-camera productions and stream them live to YouTube, Facebook, and more, or present live via Zoom and Skype. Simply connect the A10 Mini and switch live up to eight high-quality video camera inputs for dramatically better quality images. All A10 Mini models have USB, that works like a webcam for use with any streaming software, while the ATEM Mini Pro and the ATEM Mini Extreme models add direct live streaming and recording to USB discs. ATEM Mini models start at $295. For more information, visit blackmagicdesign.com. We made USAA insurance for renters who make the most of their space and money. That's why we make it easy to cover the stuff you love for as little as 33 cents a day. USAA, what you're made of, we're made for. Okay. Well, uh, I'm always intrigued by uh, storms that do similar things that, that uh, uh, with uh, Camille, like it was. Do uh, you remember, uh, uh, you have some thoughts on just uh, on how communicating the threat, how different uh, it was for Ida in the rain uh, uh, compared to when Camille occurred? Um, certainly, uh, I think the media lost their uh, focus a little bit when when Ida was no longer a hurricane. And uh, they, uh, uh, back in Camille's day, I'd, I'd probably, uh, the same thing. <laughs> um both were surprises. If I remember Camille, they, nobody expected the kind of damage and flooding that, that occurred in Virginia. And, and I know that New York City was not prepared for, you know, three inches in a day and seven inches and flooded 
flooding and low long term yeah. power outages for this. Yeah, for I, uh, I was that was uh, my junior year. I was going back to school for my junior year when Camille occurred, and uh, and uh, if if I recall correctly, there was absolutely no expectation of what happened in Virginia from the rain. Yep. Uh, it, it, people really didn't realize they had a problem until it was already too late. And uh, uh, in this case, best I could tell with Ida, the, the forecast anticipations and, and the weather type warnings were pretty much on the mark on there. But it's like you said, nobody's ex they haven't experienced that often enough, that kind of rain uh, producing the kind of floods it, it does, and, and they're not built for it. So the built environment uh, I don't know what you could do different. I mean, it's just tragic that there's people living uh, in basement apartments subject to flooding like that. That was horrible. Yeah, Bill, I, I grew up in the Northeast, and um, something I noticed is, you know, if you get, say, eight inches of rain up there, you, you have a lot more topography and I think uh, a lot more rocky soil, you know. So sometimes eight inches, I think, on the Gulf Coast, we generally have sandy soil. We can take it. It's usually flatter. But that's something about the Northeast. You have a lot of hilly topography and a lot of, I think, different soil types that uh, have more runoff, perhaps. Yeah, I don't think it's as uncommon as people are led to uh, think in their own minds. If it, I mean, uh, you had Camille, and just three years later, you had uh, Agnes. Uh, same thing, a, a hurricane makes landfall on the Gulf Coast, uh, intermingles with the frontal system and stalls out over the Northeast and dumps tremendous rain and, 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 and major flight. And then Irene, uh, I went up to Vermont after Irene and, and, and five to eight inches of rain fell there in, in less than six hours. And it was the record, they had the record uh, uh, floods on almost every stream in the state on that one storm. We did a, a four-part cable series up here in New Hampshire trying to alert people to eventually a storm like the Hurricane of 38 is going to happen again in New England. The Great Colonial Hurricane, 1635, and then you got the 38 Hurricane, and then you had Carol and other storms after that, but the 38 storm was a monster, came in as a Cat 3, was moving, what, 40, 50 miles per hour, uh, produced 186-mile-an-hour winds and on... Uh, Blue Hill, uh, there were two billion trees downed in in that storm. There are twice as many trees now. Uh, there was three hundred forty uh, million dollars worth of damage. Can you imagine a storm today going on that track where instead of goat farms and on the coast of New England, you have hundred million dollar mansions and and it would be a hundred billion dollars to me easy. That was, yeah, my father was at the, at the University of New Hampshire in his senior year at that time when it went through these big elm trees or the, the fraternity house he lived in, the, the, they were, the trees missed it miraculously, but they were uprooted in the, in the high winds and wet soil. And you can still go into some of the state parks there and they'll have some historical markers and there's the, the decaying, uh, trunks of, of large trees all, all pointed to the northwest from the, the blowdown that occurred. If I understand correctly, the, the, the bulk of the trees they lost were the, were the wonderful white pines, and they're replaced by trees that aren't quite as useful for the lumbering industry these days. But maybe we get more color because there's more maples coming up in that. Thanks to CO2, we where vegetation has gone crazy in the last 20 years here. Big trees. Wow. Yeah, at, uh, 
that's pretty interesting the solar aspect you talked about there i had not seen that in a long while uh is there uh is there pretty good skill in forecasting the trends in this in the solar activity yes actually uh we had expected these last two cycles to be uh quiet there's a longer term cycle that uh you know early part of the last century uh late 1800s early 1900s it was similar but even even the dalton minimum something think in the early 1800s could be a, a mile for it um so uh you know but you can get a, a rogue uh, solar cycle like 69 uh, that was uh, you know a quiet in an otherwise active period reasons we don't fully understand but um and maybe that was always responsible for all the crazy things happening in 1969 and and in 2020 what do you think yeah. People. Wow. yeah well so uh uh can we let out any hope for people of going into an active cycle with the sun that'll dampen the the crazy seasons we've been having We'll see. Some people think that uh, the sun next cycle will be a, a much stronger one, but uh, I'm not necessarily in that camp yet. I, I kind of agree with their consensus of a very similar cycle about magnitude uh, peaking in, in three years or so. Um, some The Russians believe that we're going into a deep solar minimum of more like the Mon, uh, if not the Monda, certainly the Dalton or could extend out wow. multiple cycles into the future, which creates lots of problems, not just hurricanes. Keep talking like that. I'm going to put my window shutters up and leave them. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, what you got? Well, you know, my question is, you know, during Ida, as it was going, not just across the South, but up in the Northeastern part of the country in particular, we kept hearing these terms unprecedented and first ever and things like this, which, you know, and I know that's not true. Um, you know, I think what, what may have been, pretty rare was the fact that that heavy rain corridor was right up the concrete corridor from Philadelphia to New York City. But we've seen that same kind of thing just shifted a little north or east or west or south that right. would have a similar impact, but it didn't hit that concrete corridor. You know, they also kept talking about the um, the first ever flash flood emergency for that area. Well, that term only goes back, what, six or seven years. That's it. Okay. Uh, we weren't issuing those 15, 20 years ago. So, so how unusual then, you know, based on what you're saying, how unusual is a storm like that? You know, how not unprecedented was it? I think it, uh, every storm can bring surprises, certainly. Um, a lot of antecedent conditions played a role up here. We, we've had such a wet, you saw Central Park numbers, but it's been true from, say, well, northern mid-Atlantic uh, through southern and central New England. We're, uh, we've, we've had uh, here 30 inches of rain this summer. That's, that, for Texas, that's not <laughs> exceptional, but it certainly is up here. They were talking drought in June, and, and that's not what they're talking. And, it, and that's a concern, too, and the ground is saturated, and you get a big blowdown. It, I think that helps to bring down the trees, doesn't it? Uh, yep. Yeah, it's uh, uh, full foliage, and that's the 
Atlantic Canada, that's their big concern. People wonder why they get so excited about a storm that doesn't produce any more wind than their winter storms. But uh, uh, the wet soils and the full foliage, the sail area on those trees bring them down. And uh, it's yeah, constantly argue with people in, the, in severe thunderstorms where there's not any trees out in the plains. They don't, what's the big deal of a 50 knot? thunderstorm when well, you come down to east texas and there's trees laying on houses when you get those storms so uh, any kind of a decaying hurricane going up through there is going to cause all kinds of problems with power outages and tree down and long-term power outages too because if you have you know we had like you said two billion trees down and in, in the hurricane of 38 we have twice as many uh, trees twice as many people and if you get a lot of tree, and you were talking about damage that was visible, you know, um, many years or decades afterwards, uh, that's still the case. There's some sections of uh, New England where there's some, uh, you know, the memory and some uh, vestiges of, uh, of the 38 damage that occurred. But in terms of up here, winter comes on very fast. Just a few weeks after Sandy, we had our first snowstorm back in 2012. And if we're without, you know, the loss of trees down on, on houses and streets and yeah, okay, you have a generator, but now you, you know, you can't get to the gas station to get more gasoline and uh, you try to find somebody to help you, you know, uh, remove the trees, fix your roots. They can't get to you. even if you have a friend in the tree business because there's trees on the street and, you know, they're being, a while, yeah. yeah, it takes a long while. And, just like the the cold in 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 the winter in the southern uh you know when you're not prepared for it it's it's uh it can be deadly certainly uh the storms uh produce damage like that can have a long-term effect and uh it's scary so we were telling people to now get your your tree guys looking for business to remove strategically trees that, you know, that could fall on your house and have backup power, you know, plans and food and that's stored and have those kind of things to survive. We've got a, a good observation uh, from Rich Johnson. I'll just read what he has to say and then you can comment on it. Uh, he just said, so often the media is short-sighted on long-term cycles associated with hurricanes, such as, uh, uh, like you mentioned, Joe, AMO and solar. John Hope mentioned in the 1980s that hurricane activity was going to pick up. Yep. Um, so, you know, comment on that. Uh, that's a good observation from Rich. He did uh, talk about the late 80s. It started to look like the AMO was going to go positive in the late 80s, and then it, it took a dip. And uh, we did have Hugo, didn't we, uh, back then? 89, you know? yeah. And then it, then it you know, uh, it took a dip for a few years, and then it really didn't go positive. We had volcanic help and keeping it negative and with uh, Pinatubo and, and um, uh, keep Cyril uh, Hudson, but uh, in 1995 is when it went positive, and after 1995, the hurricane activities increased as Bill expected. 
Tim, I wanted to make a comment on what you shared, what you asked about uh, unprecedented flooding. Um, I've been doing a lot more urban flood observations in recent years, and something I noticed is just the incredible localized nature of it. Because if you get a core area of rains where, I don't know, it's raining four <laughs> inches an hour, if you shift that 20 miles west, all of a sudden you have whole new neighborhoods and whole new communities that are getting rain that the drainage system can't handle. So you have a whole new community or a whole new part of your city flooding that never flooded before. But when you think about riverine flooding, you know, if you move that bullseye of rain 20 miles, once it works into the river system and eventually gets into the bigger rivers, that all works itself out. You know, same with storm surge. If you move a hurricane track, instead of hitting near the mouth of the Mississippi River, it's going to hit 20 miles west. You're still going to get a huge surge to the east of the Mississippi and over by by the state of Mississippi. You know, if you if you a slight sensitivity in that track, you don't get a huge difference sometimes in the broader storm surge. But again, the, the urban rainfall patterns, you just you, you just get that cell of rain somewhere else. Then you get new neighborhoods that have never flooded before. Media picks that up. They say this is unprecedented. We've never seen this but it's just the localized nature of it is um sometimes i think people don't fully understand that yeah i think you're right go ahead bill go ahead bill yeah there's a better way to say that the 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 reporter or or on-camera meteorologist would say i've never seen that before (laughs) because unprecedented has this hundreds of years type image act of god it can't possibly happen again and that's that's misleading well, in, the, in, in recorded history, you know, is, is another reasonable term to use, you know, and, and you're right, because it may have rained, you know, 20 inches on Friendswood 10 years ago, and this time it rained 20 inches on, uh, you know, League City or something, just a few miles down the road. So what happened in League City was unprecedented, as far as we know, but but it happened just a few miles down the road just a few years ago. Yeah, the, bay- the bayou drainage basins are small. I mean, we're talking a couple of kilometers wide and five to 10 long. And you're right. It just, a, the, the skill at forecasting where the, the excessive rain is going to occur is in the, you know, six hours and less time frame. Yeah. We can see someone's going to get four to five inches an hour, but I, I defy you to accurately forecast which basin it's on a, in, in the longer term. It's not going to happen. And this comes in with the dialogues I've heard about flooding, say, in Metro Houston. You know, people say, oh, this was a 100-year event or this was a 500-year event. But each of these massive events like the Tax Day flood or the Memorial Day flood, you know, it's a different part of the city. But it's mm-hmm. it's never really – I mean, Harvey, in a sense, was this widespread event. But many of these events are a part of the city where you just get, you know, the cell of tremendous rainfall for a period of time. But, uh, but then the next event is uh, centered somewhere else. Yeah, we probably need to – uh, I'm not sure how the best way to pull it out is an aerial probability of recurrence rather than a point probability, which the the, the gauge 100 and 500 year type event data is calculated on. I think it'd be more meaningful to the public at large. Well, and Joe up in up in New York, you know, with with Ida and the 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 record rainfall just a week before, you know, um, again. Um, they kept using that same term unprecedented it's you know all-time records um in central park or wherever um the, the, the uh, when the, in a wet year storms are wetter follow in in, in drought regions are out here uh you know uh, we don't uh, a storm can be a one-off and uh, and, and typically you know we we, uh, I was asked by the Wall Street Journal whether why did it rain so much in New York City. I said, well, a perfect track, lots of moisture, but 
tagged by the storm, but also there's a lot of moisture in the ground to be drawn on for this for this storm event. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating. I have, Joe, I have one more question for you. Um, how's my old buddy Joe Bastardi doing? Oh, Joe, my buddy, yes. He's doing how's, fine. How's he doing? He's doing great. Uh, he's, you know, his father was a meteorologist. His son wants to be a meteorologist. But he's at Penn State. His father was 90, and he was in our in our show, and he looks better than I do, it, you know, 20 years. Wow. Younger. He's, he's in incredible shape. Joe's going to live forever with, you know, his uh, physical bodybuilding. He's kind of fascinating. Joe and I... Joe and I actually had a long chat at an NWA meeting one time, and uh, and uh, he, I, he said he was a big Aggie fan. I was, You're from Penn State. What, why are you an Aggie fan? He says, I was born in College Station. His dad was uh, yeah. learning his meteorology at A&M at the time Joe was born. That's fascinating. So, Joe, you got to work yeah, on your great. Texas accent. <laughs> hey guys, can I ask one last meteorology question to Joe and possibly Bill? This has been, uh, it's been on my head for weeks, but I saw in one of Joe's slides, it really stood out. It was the rainfall graphic for Hurricane Camille. And that shows a rainfall maximum to the right of the storm track when it makes landfall along the Gulf Coast. But then as it tracks inland, it looked like the peak rains are to the left of the storm track. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had Tropical Storm Henri make landfall up in, in the Northeast and the heavier rain was to the left of the track from my understanding because there was a, a cold front or a trough to the to the left um could you guys comment on on these spatial patterns i know usually if it's purely tropical and stalled out the heavier rain is well offset to the right of the track but when when fronts play in a lot of times then the heavier rain will be on the other side of the storm is that correct yeah you're you're the the systems are being pulled into the westerlies and the driving mechanism that are steering them uh, sets up the the best dynamics for the rain to shift over into the out ahead of it and to the left of where the center goes. The center goes through and is dry most of the time after the hurricane goes up there. And Hurricane Bob was a good example in 91 of that. It came into southeastern New England and it was heavy rain to the west of the track and to the right, they had all wind and it, it brought in salt water that desiccated the trees. <laughs> Uh, and brought down trees, but no rain. And we would uh, we had rain, uh, very heavy rain here, and strong winds and power outages in New Hampshire. Wow, good question, good question, Hal. All right, we are back uh, wrapping up today's program. We want to thank everybody who's been part of it. Let's get some final thoughts. Let me go back to Galveston and Hal first. Uh, great program today. You have some good observations uh, with the storm this week, and probably gained a little more knowledge in today's program as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was a great panel today. I really enjoyed uh, Joe's presentation and the insights that Bill had. You know, something that stood out to me about this storm was the amount of community interaction in real time. I think more and more uh, storm chasers and, and people covering weather are streaming live, and there was so much community interaction. On one of the videos I shot, we had over 30,000 views, but a lot of people were interacting in real time. Uh, just even, even when I was driving, sometimes people were asking questions and other people were answering in the comments. So it was a very interactive storm. There was a lot of engagement, and I think uh, I think it helped with hurricane awareness and uh, people uh, being engaged about a storm like this and sharing what the impacts were. Great work in that. I was watching as well, and 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 was just fascinated. It was a good storm to be out in because it wasn't big, but it, it was safe to be doing what you were doing. So good work, Hal. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate that, Doctor Deleo. Uh, final thoughts today on what you talked about and uh, our takeaways. 
Well, I hope the season is is over. <laughs> but but I, that storm in the eastern Atlantic worries me a little bit. I think the storm that that's uh, going to probably dance off the coast for the, and become a, storm, a name storm um, is going to going to be a stay out of sea. But uh, we're getting to that time of year where you guys in the Western Gulf are less threatened. Mm-hmm. Florida has to watch out, I guess, and uh, we're not out of the woods yet here. Great presentation today, Joe. We really appreciate it. Well done, and thanks for spending time with us. Bill, uh, final thoughts on your end? Yes, I think uh, uh, what Ida and other storms are recently have shown is that we've got some work to do on how we uh, get people to take better preparation and be more aware uh, well inland past the initial impact of storms. It's uh, We should be able to do better with the uh, public response on, a, on, a, on, a, on the remnant effects of these storms from the Ohio Valley to the Northeast than we're doing now. Good. That agreed. 100% agreed. Well, gentlemen, thank you. Terrific program today. Uh, we appreciate everybody being with us and uh, uh, hope you'll join us again next week. Next week, our guest is going to be Chris Funk, the author of this book. I have a sense the conversation may go a different direction. Uh, if you can't read what it says, it says drought, flood, fire, how climate change contributes to catastrophes. And uh, Dr. DeLeo, if you want to join the conversation, we invite you to pop in at any point during that. So we appreciate it. I want to thank our sponsors who are part of the program, as always today, Plylox, Hurricane Clip, USAA and the South Padre Island Convention and Visitors Bureau and a few others that are helping out as well. We invite you all to join us in person in April of 2022 at the beautiful Marriott Courtyard Resort on South Padre Island uh, for the 2022 National Tropical Weather Conference. We'll be doing all this in person, we hope, once again, and maybe share a little time at the happy hour as well. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, have a terrific week. Stay safe out there. Take care. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for joining us on Hurricane Center. Produced by the Storm Science Network and made possible by USAA, South Padre Island Convention and Tourist Bureau, and Plylux Hurricane Clips. You can find other episodes on HurricaneCenterLive.com.